hundred years. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta get it done. No time for fun now. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta move on. Those days. Who the f is Mike Young? Would like to thank our incredible sponsor, Blue Team. Ain't nothing funny about a commercial disaster or renovation project. Blue Team handles all aspects of construction, roofing, and disaster recovery for commercial property owners and operators throughout the U.S. No company comes even close to Blue Team. Blue Team handles the projects from start to finish so our clients can focus on running their business, and that is no joke. Call the experts at Blue Team at 855 522 2583. Blue Team. Anywhere, anytime. Who the F is Mike Young? March 12th. Quarantining myself for no reason other than the fact that I'm afraid to go anywhere. I'm not one of these guys who's living on the edge. I'm taking it seriously. I watch TV. It makes you nervous. You don't know what to believe, what not to believe. So I figure, you know what? I'm home. Why don't I get homework done? Why don't I just do my writing? I'm a writer. Why don't I just tell stories on my podcast? I got a podcast. Let's just get as much done and make the best of this situation because the situation is ugly. It's really strange. It's an eerie feeling. It's one of the worst feelings I've ever felt in this country just as a whole. I know a lot of my comedian brothers out there, you know, still doing some shows and don't worry about it. Go out there and do your thing. Just live your life. Nah, I'm a, I'm a neurotic Jew who's just going to stay inside for a little bit, work on my material, work on my scripts. And I figure, you know what? Who the F is Mike Young? I'm going to tell you a story. So the last episode, one of the last episodes, I told you how the, I was lucky enough to do the movie My Man is a Loser. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, how, how, how'd you get to direct a movie and not only that, how'd you get to direct another movie after that when people have such a hard time getting movies done? And I just want to just tell everybody out there that everything and anything is possible. And I'm going to tell you how it happened. And it sounds crazy, but it's a combination of knowing the right people and having the skills to back it up. And it goes like this. So my man is a loser. We shoot the movie. We shoot it in New York City. It's my first movie. I'd like to say that I was excited, but I was so in the middle of such mayhem and such heavy work that there was no time where I was ever sitting back going, I can't believe I'm making a movie. This is incredible. There was never any of that. The whole time it was like, where am I going to shoot? How am I going to shoot it? What do I do? How do I speak to the camera guys? What do I do? What, how do I talk to my DP? What color shirt does the actress wear when the costume designer comes up to me? What do I say to the prop master when the cups in the bar aren't full enough and it doesn't look right Is it in a bar setting? You know, what's the, what's the uh, lighting scheme going to be in this next scene? What time of day is it? How is the continuity working out? So you have so many things going on that I've never had a chance to sit back and go, damn, I, that was great. But the older I get, the more I realize you have, to, you have to enjoy the journey. And I did enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed it. But I never celebrated it. And I'm not saying you need to celebrate things like that. But you need to understand it's not the goal at the end. It's, that, it's those little steps. 
It's meeting all these great people. It's everyday writing, trying to make a scene better. It's understanding a character and a, a way a person talks and how they react in a certain scene or situation and how to apply that to the character as it applies to the story, as it applies to the arc. It's all those little things that if you want to call yourself an artist and you're really about this game, then that's the stuff that you love. And most artists or most writers don't ever really talk about it or... They don't really say how much they love being at the table and being in a scene with characters and really diving into characters and just kind of, you know, getting lost and looking up and it's three hours later and you've been writing for three hours. That's called being in the zone and that's the part that we don't really acknowledge enough about how much we love being in the zone. And being in the zone is the best thing in the world for a performer, writer, creator, even athletes, businessmen, being in the zone could be, you could be an accountant who loves numbers so much that you're just head down writing all day with numbers, adding, you know, doing your accounting, and that could be your zone. So it's nothing special per your job. It's just appreciate all the little moments along the way that you're doing in something that you love. So cut to, I make the movie, my man is a loser comes out, before it comes out, we do a big movie premiere. And now it's not a big movie. It's an independent film, $4.5 million budget, John Stamos, Michael Rappaport, Tika Sumter, Brian Callen, great cast, amazing people to work with. You know, it's your first movie. It's my first movie. So, of course, I had to put my brother and my nephews in the movie. And one of our producers had to put his kid in the movie. And, you know, you have those moments that are just hilarious, you know, because... Thank God I was lucky. My brother and my nephews were actually awesome and have a career if they want. And I swear in acting, they can actually pull it off. And that was just a fun, great thing to be able to do as a writer-director. So we shoot the movie. The movie's in the can. We're going to sell the movie. We sell the movie to Lionsgate, a great company. Lionsgate, major company, major corporation, public entity, big very big. And it was big for a couple of reasons. It was really big for me to sell my first movie to Lionsgate just to say I sold a movie to Lionsgate because it's just perception in this world. Even though I kept telling my producers, I think we have like a potential little mini hit here. I wouldn't just sell the movie right away because Lionsgate, a big company like that's going to come sweep it up for like nothing and you're not going to really make your money. So they wanted status. They wanted prestige. I totally get it. We sold the movie to Lionsgate. Everybody celebrated. It was a beautiful thing for me. You know, I wasn't at the time like <clears throat> fully aware or kind of, I wasn't really thinking about what my next movie was going to be. I was just kind of rolling on this train that wasn't stopping. So the train's not stopping. The movie is in the can. We're going to have a big premiere. So we have a premiere in New York City at this amazing theater where they do a lot of films in the Tribeca Film Festival. And we do it at this theater and it's packed and we got the red carpet. And, you know, I'm not really getting excited about that because I'm more nervous having to watch my movie in front of a bunch of strangers. You know, we had 500 people in a theater packed in and I was just a wreck especially since Stamos sat in the back of the theater next to me the whole time, every five seconds going, that was funny. Oh, that was funny. Oh, that could have been funnier. That, that was funny right there. Good job with that. You know, like I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be at peace just watching my movie. But I remember my favorite thing about watching it was 
The moments that the crowd was supposed to laugh, that I wrote it for you to laugh, they laughed. So the comedy in the movie really worked. And I have a ridiculously little bit of offbeat sense of humor. And so even my little Mel Brooks moments that were wacky characters thrown into this regular world, that stuff started working for me. So it really, it really turned out great. The premiere was awesome. People really dug the movie. Rappaport gave a super cool speech up front. We just had started working together, so we didn't know each other that well. But, you know, I gave a little speech, but I was so nervous. I actually don't even remember what I said in the speech. I just remember it wasn't, you know, as heartfelt as it could have been. Just because, I don't know, man, I was so damn nervous about showing the movie that I couldn't really get out of my own head at the time. So I thanked everybody. I thanked my producers and we went out, we showed the movie and it was a super successful premiere. Everybody really enjoyed it. There were some big name producers out there, Scott Franklin's, you know, some Darren Aronofsky's partners. You know, there were some good people. I didn't know that they were even in the audience, but because I didn't check the guest list, all I did was invite my friends and family and I didn't really know what was happening. So the movie ends Everybody files out. We're saying thank you. We're giving hugs. We're giving love to everybody. And we're and as I'm standing there, Danny A., who's a good friend of mine, who I ended up doing other projects with, who I've known for 15 years at the time, because Danny is the guy. Danny used to own like a piece of club, Marquee and Avenue and these big clubs in New York City. And he was like the guy that basically invented the business model of bring fine girls and celebrities to your clubs and your club will blow up and make a business out of it. I know there was guys before him in like the Studio 54 worlds, but Danny's a legend and he took it to another level and he's also a guy whose dream it was and is to be an actor. So the movie ends, Danny shows up with a guy named Ron. Ron's, you know, 6'2", Israeli businessman and they walk right over to me and Danny goes, Yo, Mike, this is Ron. He loved your movie. We want to make a movie with you. This is the day of the premiere. So I'm thinking there's no way that my next movie is just going to start right away after my first movie. It's just, it's just too good of a moment. It's just too good to be true. So Danny's like, we're going to do a comedy together. We really laughed a lot. Ron loves your sense of humor. We'll reach out to you soon. So I think nothing of it. I'm just still caught up in the moment. I'm still super nervous at what people are going to think about the movie. Of course, when the movie came out, I got ripped by certain critics and they dogged me out and the movie really didn't do well in the theaters because it was only in the theaters for a minute. But it actually got downloaded, you know, whatever the streaming world was at at the moment. There was like 4 million streams. It did well for Lionsgate. I don't know how well it did for my friends, for the producers. It's not up to me. Every now and then I get checks from, I wrote it, from writing, from directing. I also get checks from, uh, I acted in it. I put myself in the movie. I don't really go too far outside of my acting box. I played basically myself, a comedian, who gives a little bit of knowledge to Stamos, and we battle over a girl momentarily in a scene. So we had a great time. So the movie's done, premiere's done. Danny says, I'm going to call you. Danny calls me. Uh, he calls me like a week later and he says, Mike, I need to talk to you. I got an idea for a movie. You're going to love it. I said, all right, what is it? He's like, guy in his late thirties goes back to college. He plays basketball. He's a point guard and he fulfills his dream. And somehow he goes back to school and wins the championship. 
I'm like, I don't know about that idea, Danny. I know you're dying to play a basketball player because I've played with you many times. I know you think you're a great little point guard, but it would be very hard to believe that you're good enough to play Division I basketball. I love you anyway. Let me think about this idea, and I'll get back to you. So cut to about a week later, I'm thinking to myself, I got an idea. I have an idea that I've been sitting on for years and I, I wrote it. It's already done. It's, in, it's, it's on my computer. And it's a movie that I wrote because I had to get things off my chest. I was going through some things. I told you in another podcast, I, if you listen to Burt Kreischer's podcast or Rogan talked about it once, Bobby Lee, I got in trouble a long time ago with some people that were involved in like organized crime. And I, I messed up in my life for a moment. And the, I always had the, and I got in trouble. And I thought to myself comedically, if I ever had to go into the witness protection program, would I just stop being funny? So that was my idea for this movie, A Stand Up Guy, that I had written as therapy for myself. And it was the story of a gangster that goes into the witness protection program. And on a dare, he does stand up comedy while he's hiding. And he becomes accidentally famous while the mob is after him. I know, I know, I know. Great idea. So I got the idea, and I called Danny. I go, Danny, this is my idea. He goes, I love it. I love the idea. Do me a favor. Send me the script, and let's see. And I'm I'm imitating him pretty perfectly. So he's in The Irishman. He's in uh, Club Life. He's in Holy Rollers. Danny Abacaster, you can go watch him. You'll see. In The Irishman, he's the guy that gets beat up by De Niro. When they shake him down for some money, he owes so bottom line is, I give him that idea. He says he loves the idea. Now he's going to make a deal. Danny calls me, Mike, we're going to make you a deal. We're going to pay you to write it, and you're going to direct it. I'm like, this is a dream come true. But here's the catch. I'm playing the comedian. So to be honest, I'm thinking to myself, Danny is one of the funniest people I've ever met in life. He literally is stuck in 1974 Brooklyn. He doesn't really pay attention to the trends of the day in fashion, in speech, in etiquette. He is a fish out of water no matter where he is, and everybody loves him for that. So I said, you know what, Danny? Fine. You're financing this movie. You're going to play the lead role. Go ahead. I'm going to write this for your personality. So part of the gig with writing is you got to be able to kind of dive under somebody's skin and really get their voice down. So I write the movie with Danny's personality. Now, he really, really loves acting. And he wanted to, you know, he came up to me. He's like, Mike, I'm going to walk like this. I'm going to move my hands like this. I'm going to do this when I'm on stage. I'm going to hold the mic like this. What do you think? I said, Danny, listen to me, bro. You're already one of the funniest people I know in life. You're already, I'm writing this for you. Can you just be you? I don't know if I could just be me, man. I'm an actor. I make adjustments. All right, all right. Don't adjust. Don't adjust. I write the movie. I give Danny the script. Game on, Mike. I love it. So Danny gets the script, and we start gearing up. I'm directing my second movie in Brooklyn, in New York, in the city, and it's going down in a really, really beautiful way. And the best thing about a stand-up guy was, and I start casting it. So I had a little more flexibility on casting, and I put Bob Saget in it. Bob plays a country singer who sings like these violent tales 
in like a country bar. Michael Rappaport's in it. He plays a ridiculous sheriff who's looking to look out. You know, he's, he's knows he has to protect the guy, the lead character, Sammy, because that's what sheriffs have to do when they're in witness protection. They know somebody in their county is in witness protection. So I had to do a little bit of research just to find out. So Rappaport's in it. Ethan Suplee is in it. He's amazing. He plays a detective and he's funny as hell. Uh, Lucila Solas, uh, she's in it. Lucila is, she was Al Pacino's girlfriend for a while. She plays a hooker who won't have sex with Ethan because Mercury's in retrograde. She's a sensitive, thoughtful hooker, and she was awesome. And so we cast up Nick Cordero, who's a star on Broadway. He's in it. He plays one of the leads. And we just, uh, Annie Heisey, she plays the female lead. And I casted, I started casting in New York City, And one thing you realize in New York City is everybody's good. Everybody who came in was like good. And they were just really talented. There were no bad actors. So I told the casting director, I was like, wow, where do you even find these people? He's like, welcome to New York. So the work ethic and the high level of talent that I got to see in New York really was impressive and amazing to me. And I I loved it. So we cast the movie. We're gearing up. We're ready to go. And what I realized that I didn't even, I wasn't even conscious of was how much I learned in the first movie. You don't take note on what you learn until you go do it again. And so I start the second movie and I'm just moving through it. I want my actors here, set the camera here. I want a medium shot here, a two shot there. Now next scene, we're going to go to a one shot. We're going to a medium. Make sure we get a close up. And It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced because I didn't consciously know how much I knew from the learning experience of the first one. So when you're coming up, just pay attention to whatever job you have because they're all going to serve you better down the line. And I already had the ability to talk, you know, to talk to all different types of people because of my stand-up background. I already had the ability to communicate comedy because of stand-up. I already had the writing down because I'm a writer. And it was just a beautiful thing. And Jay Ferguson's in the movie, and Ferguson plays a biker, uh, leader of a biker gang, which, and he's so funny and such a great actor, and a friend of mine for 15, 16, 17 years probably. He's one of Connolly's good friends. Also, they were roommates back in the day. But Ferguson is just like a real actor. So he plays the head of a biker gang. And this is what I love about it. He understood the tone, the comedy tone of the movie from Jump. So he lands in New York. He gets to his hotel. He's like, I want to talk like this for the character. I want to say absolutely ridiculous things. So I actually had him saying such ridiculous things in the movie. And I got to write towards his voice. And then I did the same with Rappaport because he's so specific and I know his range and what he can do. So I wrote for his voice as well. And so it just really was a beautiful experience. Do we have bumps in the road along the way? Of course we have bumps in the road. Did Danny and I battle each other as creatives yet also friends? Of course we battled each other. We went to war a few times. You know, and this is, listen, this is where business and art and art and you know this is where art and commerce are always going to battle when somebody's financing something and they're paying for it they're going to feel like they have a big say in the piece and they do and it's up to you on the other side to know when to fight know when to sit back you know know when to hit them with the jab 
know when to, you know, know when to feel it out, know when to not say a word. So I've never been great in that arena. I've always said what I wanted and said my piece because I, I love the craft so much and I care so much about every word that I wasn't as flexible as Danny probably wanted me to be. So we had a couple of nice little battles. But at the end of the day, we made a really cool little movie. But I'll tell you like one of the battles, right? So the movie I told you is Brooklyn Gangster, Witness Protection. And a friend of mine is in a, Lad Vance is in a doo-wop group. I love doo-wop music. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do-do. You know, just doo-wop. Acapella doo-wop. So I thought, what if we're the first movie to have a soundtrack of all doo-wop? Number one, it's cost efficient. Number two, it's just cool. I thought it was the greatest idea ever. I told it to uh, a uh, Minarski, my music supervisor. He thought it was a genius idea. He loved it. I went to Danny. I said, Danny, Danny, I got the best idea ever, ever. We're going to do the whole soundtrack in doo-wop. He goes, Mike, I love you. You know that, right? Love you, Danny. It's the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life, and I've heard some bad ideas. But this is the worst idea. I said, how could this be the worst idea? I think this is an amazing idea. I know that's what you think, Mike, but it's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. It ain't going to happen. I'm the boss. So that was our first little battle. So that's okay. We get through it. I get my director's cut of the movie. I make the movie. I tell the story. I'm done. I turn in the movie. I show it to Danny. He calls me. I'll never forget. He calls me. He goes, Mike, we got a great movie here. We got a great movie here. I said, thanks, Danny. I think we do have a really fun movie. So then I don't hear from Danny for like two weeks. He's going to do his own little fine polish editing on it. And he goes and he shows it to a couple friends of ours who are high-level actors. Now, when you're a high-level actor, you, got, you understand the craft. You understand art. If you're a high-level dramatic actor most of the time, you're not going to really be the comedy guru. But Danny shows it to a couple of our friends, and they have notes for Danny's performance and a couple notes. And then he calls me back. He goes, we don't have a movie yet. We got nothing. I go, I thought you just said we had a great movie. We don't. Trust me. I showed it to a few of our friends. We got some work to do. So this is where our next battle came in. So this was five years ago, and it was like the height of the influencer world and kind of the height of like this whole BS where if you got 10 million followers, your, your movie's going to get seen. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. All of it. Just so you know, I don't care. Let them make money. Let companies pay them. Good for you. But they don't move needles Talent moves needles. They don't move needles if they don't have talent. So the bottom line is, Danny, for he forces me. He goes, there's a, there's a guy on the internet. His name's F. Jerry. Now, I don't want to... He's a very nice guy. He has an account on Instagram called Fuck Jerry. It's like a huge Instagram thing. There's, he's got like 20, 30 million people that follow him. Danny's like, he's the biggest thing in the world, Mike. I just need you to write him a little part. He's just going to do some stand-up. Now, what nobody, what nobody really wants to admit is that doing stand-up is hard. It's hard. 
especially if you're not a stand-up. If you've given speeches and you've got a knack, you're going to have a better time. This guy, sweet guy, his name is Elliot, very nice guy, can't act worth a damn in this moment. Now, Elliot, if you listen to this, don't be upset, bro. You, you're awesome. You're better. You've grown a giant business. You make tons of money. You're great. But for the 51 seconds that I had you in my movie, I was sick to my stomach. I was sick to my stomach. I wish, I just, it just killed me. It killed me. But I put him in because Danny was like, you got to put him in. He's going to be big for marketing. You know who was big for marketing my movie? You know who got on every talk show? Not F. Jerry with 23 million followers. Bob Saget got on every talk show and blew up my movie. And I got on every radio program and serious XM show that I could get on and blew up our movie. Oh, and we put my boy Ben Lyons in it. And Ben actually did a great job. Real nice guy. Ben Lyons. Big sports guy. ESPN, I think. Just a good dude and like a good talent. Nice guy. Great to work with. So we pushed the movie. Me and Danny had our wars because, he, like I said, him and his people financed it. He never sicked the dogs on me. Like, I never had his boys who really the, – the, the, I never had the other money guys come at me and say anything. It was just really Danny as the mouthpiece for everything. So we battled a little bit, but it made our bond stronger. It made us tighter, and we made a cool little movie. And at the end of the day, Netflix bought our movie. And it lives on Netflix to this day. And – to be honest, I've never watched it, I, I, but I will. I will watch it, but I've never watched. I don't know why. I don't even know why. I, have, I, I get like physically, not sick, but like I get physically tense watching things when I know something could have been better. I should have done something differently. I just get a little bit tweaked watching my own stuff. I'm not the only director who goes through this. I'm not the only writer. I'm not the only comedian who doesn't like watching himself. It's just what we do. I don't love it. But I'm starting to get better at it because I'm starting to learn how to separate myself and look at myself as this. On one side, I'm, it's, just, I'm, I'm, it's a business. So how I'm looking at this like, would I buy this? Like, would I buy that from this guy? So I'm, I'm doing a better job of it. I'm reading some books, <laughs> Atomic Habits I'm reading. I'm reading books. I'm reading things to help me through, you know, self-analyzation and being able to step outside and, like, watch my act and, like, get better. And it's truly helping, and it truly is. And I know I've been doing this for a while, but it's the beauty of comedy and art. You never, there's no ceiling. So the movie goes on Netflix, and now we have a little L.A. premiere gathering at the Soho house. We do a whole thing. We show the movie, and we're off and running. And off that movie, Danny got to go make another movie after that called Mob Town. And really, I just wanted to tell the story of how I got to make a stand-up guy. And you can listen to another podcast about how I got the inspiration for it, but... You know, I'll just tell you that I got mixed up with some really rough people who didn't take kindly to what I was doing and what I did. I beat somebody up because I'm a dummy from Detroit who's not afraid to fight and scrap, and I had to pay my due at the end of it. And I got through it. I'll tell it full. I'll tell that story in full on another podcast. But I figure I'm home today. 
I'm isolating myself because I have to. I'm terrified. You watch the news. It's like coronavirus is everywhere. I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to try and knock out like three or four podcasts today. The sun's trying to come out. It's been stormy. It's just a really eerie time in LA. Nobody knows what to do. I went down to the market downstairs, and like it was packed. It looked like the Wuhan market, like just stuffed with people. Everybody's lined up, fearing like Armageddon's coming. We can't live like this. We got to bond together. You got to find people that are, everyone's, just stay healthy. Stay a little bit isolated. Don't get out there. No clubbing right now. I did do a set at the the improv last night. Semi, didn't want to do it, but I did it. I didn't touch the microphone, which taught me a good lesson. I'm actually a, a solid comedian when I just stand still. So that was nice. I actually stood still. And, uh... I don't know. As I look at the television right now, there's Trump shaking hands like there is no virus. So it's very real. It's a pandemic. And this is what you get when you got a pandemic going on. You got Mike Young. Who the F is Mike Young telling stories inside of his own place because he's not comfortable leaving. Anyway, that was the story of how a stand-up guy got made. And maybe on the next podcast, I'll talk about what it was on set and like the things that happened on set just like little moments like I remember Saget calling me you know to rehearse his songs that I wrote for him I wrote him his country songs he would call me up the night before like a serious actor he's like how does this sound I'm gonna follow you home tomorrow I'm gonna follow you home just you know he he took it very seriously and he did a great job and we love him and you know that's why we're still friends to this day so that's that everybody stay safe everybody be well By the time you hear this, I'm sure it's going to clear up. But right now, we're living in an interesting time and a lot of fear out there. It's very interesting. Bye-bye. Take me back when I was a kid. Take me back Never had to worry about what I did. The one time I'm a man now. Check it out. The Motown sound. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now.